Welcome to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast. I'm your host, life and business coach, Kate Hawley. I work with entrepreneurs and creative change makers who value depth, impact, and purpose. Many of my clients are like me. They dream of creating prosperity through the value they provide, but they also want equity for others and sustainability for our planet. The scarcity mindset of our culture tells us that this dream isn't possible, that we are not enough, that we don't have enough, that there is not enough for everyone, and that's just the nature of reality. But really, it's just the nature of predatory capitalism. I'm glad you're here because we are going to prove that sad story false and make better meaning to build our future with. Here we go. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast, episode 11. Today, I'm excited to share an interview that I did with my friend, Jackie Fitzgerald. Jackie has a really rich background as a public school educator for the last decade or so. She's been teaching in middle middle schools and high schools. She recently left her role in public education to start her own company, Resonance Coaching, where she does embodied equity and transformation coaching for individuals and organizations. Jackie is also a musician under the artist name Echo Onda. I'm excited to share my interview with Jackie with all of you. We had a really great conversation about her transition from being a teacher into starting her own business and kind of the leap of faith that was required there. We talk about the role of kind of trauma healing in our ability to vision a different future for ourselves and also for the collective. Jackie shares a little bit of the process and practice that she went through to kind of move through the scarcity mindset that set in when she decided to transition out of her kind of consistent full-time employment into something a little more uh, unpredictable, you could say. We also touch on Jackie's work as an internal family systems practitioner um, and the idea that each of us is kind of a collection of parts with a multiplicity. Overall, Jackie has a really great perspective and a lot of wisdom to share, and I think you're going to really enjoy our talk. Let's get started. I am so excited to talk to you today and also to find out a little bit more about the work that you do, because I know the type of coaching you do is, I think, a bit different, and you definitely come from a different background and orientation than some of the other coaches that I'm familiar with. Um, But before we unpack that too much. Um, I always like to start by asking people, because this is a podcast about the scarcity mindset and because that word and that phrase can be so big and can mean different things to different people, I always like to ask, what does that phrase mean to you? How does that land for you? Yeah, that's such a great question. And thank you for also the invitation to kind of demystify and peel away. It's like so important that these things are accessible. Um, I think for me, scarcity comes from this not enough mantra that we have in our culture, this idea of enoughness. And I know that that's kind of a part of a more collective conversation now, which is great. But I think when we're talking about scarcity, we're talking about this feeling of a lack or not enough. And for me, you know, obviously when we're talking about capitalism, that looks material. It looks monetary. And for me, it also means that it translates to all of the other ways that we see ourselves, our self-perception of not enough. So not smart enough, not talented enough, not thin enough, not pretty enough, not a good enough teacher, not a good enough creative, not a good enough, you know? And so it's like this kind of constant layering of all of the ways that we're not enough Mm-hmm. That then gets translated into um, the system. <laughs> and it's yeah. this feedback loop that just constantly reinforces it. Absolutely. So, I um, 100% agree. Yeah. It is very much a loop and it becomes a self fulfilling trap. It's so tricky, right? Because when you're in scarcity, you're like, I just need more resource. Um, 
So it's hard to get yourself to that point where you actually are resourced enough to think differently to get yourself out of that cycle. Absolutely. So I think it would be helpful to hear just a little bit about your background. I, I think when I first met you was years ago and you were a high school teacher, right? Yeah, I taught. So I taught middle school in the Portland area for the first five years. I was an educator in 2010 and then moved on to teaching high school. Um, and for the last few years have been somewhat transitioning out of education, kind of feeling my way into what was next. There's a little bit of like a only so few options in the public education system. Um, and so, yeah, just started really doing my own personal work, like some pretty deep dives in 2018. Um, and it's been it's been kind of a slow, slow discovery of how I want to be in the world as I've done like a slower, very deep <laughs> dive into what's going on inside. Um, so, yeah, big changes in the last three years. And I started residence. Um, actually, I started it the summer that COVID hit, so the summer 2020, and started just kind of slowly working with different community partners and then decided that this really feels like the place that I want to be and the work I want to be doing. And so decided to hmm. step out of teaching. Always How be a teacher, though. Been... <laughs> of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. How long have you been, like, thinking about doing that type of coaching work that you're doing now? How long had you been considering that before you decided to kind of make the leap into starting this business? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it actually just kind of the the thought kind of came from the outside. Like, I got an invitation from a design agency, a small design agency to do some um, culture work and team team work with them, like team building, but also kind of like values alignment and just kind of opening up different work styles and which is what we're doing in schools and classrooms all the time is helping people really translate one another and be in better relationship with one another. And I think it was from that experience that I was like, oh, not only did I really enjoy this, but it's also so needed. And that was, you know, that was about three years ago. Um, so it's been, it's been a slow emergence. And then through my healing work, I've discovered um, visionaries and leaders and healers who really inspire me around change that I've started to model and shape my specific niche towards. Um, so mm -hmm. it's been slow, slow growth and had to had to move through a lot of scarcity mindset, a lot of not enough mindset to be able to get to a place where I could take the leap because it's pretty scary. Um, yeah, we I think we talked about this a little bit, how it's especially when you're going from, you know, school teachers are famous for how much money they make. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I mean, but there is the stability there, right? There's like a sense yeah. of like you're rooted in a stable paycheck with benefits and you're on kind of a path that I know for a lot of people, the path provides a sense of control and a sense of stability that keeps them from sinking into some of the scarcity mindset fears. And it also provides like a validity of what you're doing has value and has worth that's built into the system. Um, whereas, yeah, when you break off on your own, I imagine a lot of that you have to uh, rebuild from inside. I would love to hear more about kind of, if you could talk us through when scarcity mindset became really a peak problem for you in that process and how you were able to work through it. Yeah, that's great. I'd love to offer just like a little bit prior to that, if that's okay. So Please, yeah. just because something that you said really made me think about something that I think will connect in, which is that scarcity mindset exists everywhere, right? And even in education where you're so right as a teacher, where get, we get a secure paycheck. I know it's coming to me every month. I know what day it's coming and all those things are in place. And yet there is a feedback loop of not enoughness, even in education. Um, that we see constantly with students and these asks to perform on tests or grades or whatever for 
whatever systems need that evidence. And there's also a, and this is kind of what led to the question that you asked, but for me, there's, there's this also this communication around teachers not being enough for kids. That there's this feeling of all the time, because, you know, we're constantly giving equity trainings and professional developments all the time that we don't have time to really integrate into our classrooms. There's this sense of like, I could give 70, 80 hours a week to this and still not be enough for my kids. And that is actually where the place I was operating from for a really long time, about eight years. Mm. And um, it, it led to my need to really be like reevaluating what is my sense of core enoughness? And if I can get to my core enoughness, then what would I do? Because it wasn't working in the education system for me. Um, so can, can I ask you? Just, yeah, I'm curious because I realize as you're talking about this that another really important part of this is the fact that education has been so meaningfully underinvested in, and that teachers. I get the impression that teachers are really the they're bearing the load of that. There actually are not enough resources going into the system. And then teachers are being asked to somehow pull from within themselves to like fill in the gap. Was that also your experience? Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say it's it's everyone in the education system, you know, including administrators. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's really easy for people to kind of like point blame and and it, it really is coming from a systems deficit like it's a systems problem um and yeah absolutely like um can i ask you okay this is just a fun like if we could wave the magic wand and you with knowing everything you know now (laughs) could solve the resource and scarcity challenge in the system that you're talking about Mm. because a lot of people will say well we need to put more money into it and i'm sure that's very true But also part of what we're talking about is that there's a mindset shift, right? And they're both important, but we can talk about how would we start, how would we start to change the mindset? And and maybe it's not possible. I don't know. Because I I get that like a lot of folks, including you, just were like, well, I can't change the system. So I'm leaving (laughs) the system. But do you see places where, I guess my question is like, if, if we could wave the magic wand and solve that systems problem, where would you start? Yeah. So I would say I do, I do believe systems can change. And I believe it takes people in all spaces to do that change. Like there are people in education right now who are doing things that are making huge strides that I'm, it's just not my place right now. I'm in a different space. So I really believe in that all kinds and all spaces kind of idea for change work. But I think my magic wand waving would be to really give teachers the space and time that they need to be able to integrate in all of the learning that they've had from their students' feedback, from the professional development trainings that they have, to be able to collaborate and work with one another, and also to, quite frankly, be able to regulate their nervous systems. Teachers are walking around with totally maxed out at capacity beyond available like lim- their limits are totally gone um, when it comes mm-hmm. to what they have available to them in the classroom. Um, because the world is the world we're in right now, just even outside the classroom. So they're coming in with like, you know, more than they are able to, with the ask, the demand of them being way more than they're able to actually give. Because each student mm-hmm. is coming in with all of that too. So um, I think a lot of tools around regulating nervous system, mindfulness work, um, and bringing that into like a slower pace, you know, everybody is very yeah. much into achievement. Um, everybody wants to really have a lot of academic achievement. And I'm looking around at the world that we're in with all of its problems with pandemic and climate change and ma- major mental health crisis, specifically among and also among youth and saying, I'm not sure if academic achievement is... <laughs> a top priority right now. <laughs> yeah. So right, like if if we could achieve the thing you're describing of first the the mentors, the teachers, the leaders having the time, space and support they would need to regulate their own nervous systems and model that because we know that nervous systems mm-hmm. are 
co-regulated, right? And so of course for children, yeah, for children to be able to learn to do that, it makes a profound difference if the adults that they spend their day with have have been able to start from that place. So yeah, what I hear is that 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 would really more meaningfully change the results, like and create more positive results, which we could put into academic measurements at some point probably, but I hear that that we're focusing in the wrong direction there. Yeah. It's and you know, when when nervous systems are in overdrive, we're in reactivity mode. And then we mm-hmm. see the effects of that in the preschool to prison pipeline, right? It all connects into like systemic racism and so it's um yeah, it's a big question. We could spend the whole podcast it just is. talking I know, about you know, that. And we didn't <laughs> totally. <laughs> Sorry, I just like got derailed because I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is so important. Yes. And I think you're so uniquely positioned to have perspective on this because you were in it and then you stepped out, yeah. right? I think not that people who are in it don't have perspective, but a lot of times they're just trying to basically tread water and, and remain and stay afloat. Whereas you are now kind of shifting into how do I, yeah, this work of changing systems. So let's return to that because I know you are telling us your journey and your story. So I want to go back to what you were starting to unpack there. Yeah. Yeah. So the leap, is that where we were? Yeah. I think we were like you were saying, you know, shifting from being in the scarcity cycle of being an educator Mm -hmm. that where did that take you? Yeah. So our bodies can only handle so much before they they force us into a different direction. And that's definitely what happened with me. Um, I can kind of go, 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 uh, ignoring all the signals <laughs> mm-hmm. until like it's decided for me. Um, and, you know, I think what I think what actually did it was, I mean, there was a really pivotal form of healing that I got access to, which was called internal family systems therapy, which I'm now a pre- practitioner of. And I could also talk all day about that particular modality and we can yeah. talk more about it too. I, I know but, I share I share your love for internal family systems. Yay, awesome. That's so cool. That. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because I think it plays a really huge role in our ability to be able to move through scarcity. But that was really, I think, a major turning point for me and my ability to be able to practice radical self-love. Like, I'm a huge Sonia Renee Taylor. I just, like, think she's a total genius. And radical self-love is all about really tearing down the ladder inside. So if it's, like, ladders of class and hierarchy around capitalism, like, we're working on, um, yeah, we're working on, like, that self-love that's needed internally to be able to then go and embody the things externally that we want to embody. And so as I was able to start healing, I mean, we're talking about years. I mean, we're talking about like, I, I mean, I've been in healing, doing healing work for a long time in my life, probably since my adolescence, but like very intensively in the last three years, um, moving through and processing a lot of pr- trauma from this lifetime and also ancestral trauma, um, began to be able to start to vision. So Prentice Hemphill, who is a healer, um, an embodiment they're an embodiment healer and um, writer and activist. They talk about how we have a lack of access to an ability to vision when we are stuck in trauma. And so I just learned about that just this last season, but they were putting language to the thing that I experienced, which is that when I was able to, over the last three years, begin to really heal my trauma, I could start to envision a different future for myself. I could start to really see what I could be in the world. And um, it started with like making music and it started with beginning to imagine who I could work with in, in our community and, um, what I could be a part of. And it, it began with also new, new relationships with, with different people, you know, um, mm. which was also really exciting. It's so strange how the pandemic, I think a lot of people had this experience where it's like we actually got closed off from each other, but then we had to go looking other places for where to connect. And a lot of that happened in social media and in workshop spaces and online. And so just developing new networks Um, So that was another really big part, I think, of what allowed me to be able to transition out is to be able to see out. Um, Yeah. When you started to think about, let's just get into the nitty gritty for a second of (laughs) was, 
you know, when you started to think about leaving your job, um, I get that like you said you had sort of activated your ability to vision and that's inspiring, right? Because it's like, okay, I could see that there's other things possible for me. Mm. And yet there's the reality, right? If like if your resource is coming primarily from this one support, um, did you at that point, did you have a lot of scarcity fears or did you have a lot of trust that things were going to work out and you were going to be able to replace that income when you got into your coaching work? That's such a great question, Kate. So I was petrified. Like when I started realizing about like middle of the school year last year that I really like a pretty big shift was due. Either I was going to go halftime education or just take the full leap. I was totally terrified. And what helped was that, yeah, eventually I had to get that trust online. But what helped is that I had already done that free fall inside. So does that make sense? Like I, mm-hmm. in my healing I work, yeah. in my healing work, I totally free fell. I was just like at the bottom of a well down in the, down in the deepest part of the ocean and just had to trust and surrender to, to just being down there and letting what needed to happen, happen and letting what needed to move through, move f- through and what needed to heal to heal. And I was able to surface. I was able to slowly start to like make my way up to the surface for some air. And so I taught myself already how to trust and I taught myself already how to let go. And so it's not that it was easy when it came to making the leap to, to, you know, out of education and into my own work, it was not easy, but I had practiced. And so I could apply it. Um, Yeah. And I can't say enough about practice and our ability to shift away from scarcity mindset. It is a constant daily, even if it's just like two minutes a day, constant, constant practice. Um, Can you give us an example of the practice itself, like a thing that you did or that you think like, yeah, like I just do this for two minutes a day and that can help. Yeah. Well, at my lowest point, so I should share that. So so when COVID hit um, spring 2020, I had actually, um, it was actually the first time I tried to make the leap. I tried to make a leap into my own business. And then two weeks after I tried to make the leap, COVID hit, or no, it was a week. It was a week. So it was just like, that was my first free fall. Um, and I fell into a horrible depression. And the re- one of the reasons for that was because I'm like recovering from workaholism. Mm-hmm. And when I say workaholism, I feel like in our society, that's kind of like, it's kind of a badge of honor. And I, I mean that in the way of like any addiction would be talked about, which is that it's very serious because addiction robs us of our ability to experience our full spectrum of life. And so when I wasn't able to get my business off the ground and, and <laughs> we were in COVID, I didn't have my fix. So I, I fully had to, had to go to that, that really, really dark place. And it was really, really hard. And so in answer to your question, the practice, I, I was like, I was got kind of sick of moping at some point and I was like, I have to do something. So I just started <laughs> hearing flit. He's protecting me right now as I'm telling the story. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I just sat down and started meditating. At first it was just like once a day, like for a minute, cause I could barely get my mind to calm for even a second. Um, and then I started doing, you know, five minute meditation and then I started doing 10 minute meditation and then I started making it a part of my every morning and I sat down every morning and and I did a meditation every morning and now it's become a full ritual that I like actually need to be well Mm -hmm. um and I realize that I have a privilege because I don't have children um it's not that I don't have responsibilities but I don't have children coming to me in the morning needing things from me so I recognize that as a parent that takes a different level of attunement to yourself but um, yeah, meditation has led its way to a, a, a whole other set of practices for me. And I think, you know, there's a part of me that like wants to share all those practices. And then there's another part of me that's like, I think it's just so specific for each individual. We're all so, we're as biodiverse 
as as nature. And so mm-hmm. it's like, I think it's so important for each individual to figure out what, what their practice looks like and what their rituals look like. And it's slow. Yeah. It's slow. Yeah. yeah. If you were to describe how meditation for you, how how was that effective at shifting out of scarcity mindset? What did, what did it do to help that to happen? Mm. Well, again, this gets into privilege. So if I don't leap back around to this, remind me. But in the moment, I'm okay. Like in the moment, I'm secure. I have incredible humans in my life, many of whom, you know, we know, who are so loving, so kind, so supportive. We have an incredible community. Um, I have an abundance of love. I have a roof over my head. I have food in my fridge. I have my sweet little dogs. I have my music. I have my guitar. I have my books. I have my journal. I mean, like, I don't know what else I need in life besides those things. I can go for walks. Like, in the moment, I'm t- I feel safe. And so it's when a part starts coming in. This is where like internal family systems, I think, plays a really big role. It's like when a part starts to hijack the moment is when the stories start about not having enough. But I do recognize that there are many individuals, and I think this is so important to really know in systems of oppression how this works, that folks who are under-resourced don't have the – have the privilege of having access to a moment or to presence. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's really where like redistribution can come into play. And I think that's really where healing justice is so important. Um, and when I say, I'll just clarify like resource distribu- redistribution, like folks who have more resources, being able to give those resources to communities who don't have access to the privileges to be present as simple as being mm-hmm. present. Um allows us access to healing so yeah yeah Yeah, i mean i'm hearing that's very true right like that's such a um a basic element of being able to practice presence is to say well in this moment everything is okay even if at a pretty profound level there's a problem in your life that you're struggling through you can usually find that but of course as you're indicating that wouldn't be the case if it's not safe in your household or if it's not safe in your neighborhood or if you don't have food in your fridge or if you don't have a roof over your head or if you have a trauma history that you know has basically taken like kept your brain from being able to access that sense of safety and maybe you don't have the resources to get to the other side of that absolutely trauma keeps us frozen and frozen in the past it keeps us Trauma literally hijacks our ability to be present. Um, yeah. And that's true for all of us. And I think, you know, we have a collective trauma. So even people who say they, they maybe haven't experienced trauma or they, or they don't believe that their trauma is, like, sufficient enough to, like, be able to feel <laughs> or, like, have access mm-hmm. to their feeling and access to their reaction, um, trauma isn't it doesn't have a hierarchy. It's not like everyone's trauma yeah. is deserves attunement. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The way we used to talk about it um, in the trauma informed training that my friend Juliana used to do in our program, she would, she would call it big T and little T, right? That's one of the ways people describe it. Like we all have some of it and yes, some people have the big T trauma, which can be profoundly more impacting mm-hmm. to some of the stuff we're talking about. Um, but of course, then everyone has a subjective experience of trauma. So yeah, it's such a mm-hmm. individual journey. Yeah. I, I also, I'm really excited that what's entering into conversation now is ancestral trauma, generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Because even though we may not have personally experienced something in our lives that we would associate with a big T trauma, our great-grandparents or our grandparents might have and so yeah. that is, that's in our bodies. Um, yeah, totally. So, so mm-hmm. okay. Well, this is a this is an important and big topic. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm glad we're getting to it because it is. It's so. Um, it really is at the heart of what we're 
trying to describe when we talk about finding the, you know, we could call it courage, but it's really just the capacity to take the risk that is required to exit the scarcity cycle that we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, let's go back for a moment to when you finally, when you found that capacity, <laughs> when you took that leap. Um, I guess I'm curious about the work you're doing now. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm so excited by the work I'm doing now. It's multifaceted. I really, when I started Division, as I was talking about before, I really started to think a lot about inner outer work. I'm very interested in inside out work. Um, I love that Pixar mm, movie so much. Um, <laughs> if for anybody who is like, what is she talking about? Inside out work or inside out or like um, even IFS, internal family systems, like it, that movie Inside Out is so helpful for understanding what's going on there. But do you want to give us the super abbreviated explanation of what internal family systems is? I will do my best. Do you feel like that's a yeah. Okay, cool. I totally. mean, it's, it's a relatively simple premise, right? So I sure. Think, I think yeah. you could yeah. do it. Yeah. So um, IFS is a healing modality that aims to restore harmony to our complex and inner multiplicity. So we have, we're a collection of parts. And I feel like now parts work and parts language is kind of a part of the lexicon, which is so great. But essentially, we're all familiar with this concept that there's like a part of me that thinks this and there's a part of me that thinks that. And that oftentimes our parts are at conflict and at odds with each other. And so it makes it really hard for us to navigate our systems. We get really confused and turned around and swirly. And what IFS does is it connects you to a capital S self. And self is our, you could call it anything you want. You could call it our natural intelligence, our divine essence, whatever. It's that part of you that is aware when you're meditating. And it helps you connect with that core to be able to work with the parts of you that are operating in states that are no longer helpful. Um, and to help them relax, to take on different roles in your system. And then also to eventually work with our exiles, which are parts of us carrying trauma, and help them unburden. Um, so it's a multi-layered process, definitely like onion Shrek stuff. <laughs> um, I can see how, like, I'm having this image of, um, school teacher, Jackie, like that your essential self is there with like the classroom full of the parts of self, right? Cause that's, you know, you have yeah. this skill of like, I imagine the, having the different needs, the, the different diversity of voices and opinions and personalities and, and having to navigate that and, and create kind of a, a wholeness and cohesiveness. Like we are this classroom and we're doing this together. Yeah. And this is just the image that's coming to my no, mind. No, it is. A, I it. love that you're bringing in that analogy. <laughs> that is a hundred percent what it is. I'm going to actually start be, I'm going to be doing some work with some educators here in the next few weeks and upcoming months. And um, it's one of the most helpful ways to talk about parts because educators are so good at being equitable in their classrooms. Many equity-minded educators are very good at being equitable to their students in their classrooms, but we're not as good at being equitable to all of our parts inside. So that's why I like to talk about embodied equity. It's the embodied practice of attuning to all of the parts inside of us, just as we would to our students in a classroom. Um, yeah. that's, that we don't do. We just don't. We're so, I don't, for whatever reason, right? We're pulled a million different directions or whatever, but. That's an important question um, that you're observing. The Why do so many of us have the skill and ability to do this externally, but still struggle with it internally? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm reckoning with, um, I'm a relatively deeply introverted, introspective person on the spectrum of like our culture. And so I also love to do things from the inside out. And I have this obsession with like finding the inner kind of congruence, but it's been a lifelong struggle to be able to turn towards the inner life and treat it with the same respect and equity that I, and compassion that I would very easily give to the external world. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Why do you think that is, Jackie? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Any thoughts? I mean, we're just gonna, we're just gonna, no, just gonna crack it yeah, right we're gonna just lay it out. Here we go. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm truth seeking is just, yeah, it's like, it's just, it's like in my DNA. Um, like yours. Yeah. I, you know, my first, my first thought goes to, um, extroversion and like the need to kind of always be focused externally. And it, it's, it's totally plays into scarcity, right? Cause we're constantly looking for cues that we're enough outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Capitalism tells us to yeah. look for cues outside that we are enough Buy the thing, mm. do the weight loss program, go to this right. fitness class. And it's like, we're constantly looking for external validation and accolade. And there's no, the, that there's no like your your internal validation and accolade is that you get to come home to yourself you know and who is talking about that in our society <laughs> like no one's talking about right. that in our culture in any kind of mainstream way it's not a message we're raised with it's nothing you know even even our education system we spend 12 years learning to perform for a grade mm-hmm. to get right so it's yeah, I think yeah, it's... that seems very that seems very key, actually. And it goes back to what you're saying earlier about, um, you know, academic achievement being more the focus than a than a deeper reckoning with like the growth that these human beings, the growth journey of the human beings that are the students, yeah. which, you know, it's that question of, right, the extrinsic motivation versus like it, like, mm-hmm. are you doing the thing because you're going to get a good grade? Or do you actually have the skill to ask yourself, do I like the paper I wrote? Do I like the painting I made? Mm -hmm. Am I reading a book that I'm actually interested in? Right. Like those are not even relevant questions in most educational systems. Absolutely. Do I have the freedom to be in this space to create this project that I'm super interested in? Absolutely. Yeah. So, yes, big things, big things. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, to get back to your question about work in the world. So, embodied equity is a huge part of that. Um, I've developed a training series that I'm working with and different nonprofits um, and organizations with individuals to kind of use pieces of that or the whole series to um, speak to embodiment, speak to healing, speak to trauma, integration in our workspaces and our multiplicity. I'm so, as a, as a multiracial person and also just someone who believes so much in multiplicity um, that has nothing to do with like social constructs um Mm -hmm. i'm i'm in love with it 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 also is because it's so tied with biodiversity which is so connected to the healing of the planet um there's Mm -hmm. just this beautiful thread there that i'm so enamored with um Mm. so that and then transformation work you know i'm i really i really want to be working with individuals and in and groups and organizations with change. We know we have to change. We see evidence of it everywhere. And it's just a matter of how do we get in right relationship with ourselves around change? Um, how do we get in right relationship with one another and with with the people right in front of us, our friends, our family, our coworkers, um, to change together? So I'm really interested in that. And then I love facilitation. So I love facilitation of groups and workshops and then um, also doing IFS practitioner work, which is kind of that like core solo one-on-one work. So mm-hmm. I, I love many hats as you can tell. <laughs> I try yeah, to, I try I to practice you know. it. I try to practice multiplicity. I think it's so freeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it sounds like you're kind of still in that first year of your business and it's such an appropriate place to be really to be exploring and trying the, the passions and the work and like the vision that you're holding to kind of try it with different people, different types of groups um, and to let it grow into what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for its emergence. I mean, starting a new business is really scary. It's like there, you get little seeds and you're in communications with partners for a long time. And it's such a practice of trust, such a practice of patience and then st- things start to fall into place and you start to see it take shape. And um, it's really exciting. And I feel like I feel like I went from total fear that everything was going to fall apart and I wasn't going to be safe or okay to, like, just being so eager 
I was so eager because I was like, I know what I'm supposed to do in the world now. I have no question. So it's just a matter of waiting for it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, do what it needs to do, become mm-hmm. what it needs to become. Um, yeah. But that, 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 like that place of emergence is, is it's tricky. You know, it, it requires to be very well resourced and a strong community and lots of love. I think that daily practice you're talking about, I mean, it's always important, but it's like, the way I usually describe when I really took the biggest leap into entrepreneurship, it was like a huge leap of faith. And at first I was like, okay, I did it. I took the huge leap of faith. I'm done. Then what I realized is like, oh no, no. Now that you're here, <laughs> leaps of faith are just part of your life now. Yeah. So rather than thinking you're going to be done with that, you actually have to learn the skill and like how to take care of yourself so that you don't completely freak out totally <laughs> that you're now living in a leap of faith lifestyle totally I, I I love that I've I've actually been in a conversation about that recently too it's like now we're just at constant growth edge place like I'm constantly at growth edge with my music right now I'm constantly at growth edge in my resonance work you know um and it's exciting and and I think also like I get to be discerning. Like if something feels like too big of a leap, I don't have to do it. Like I, you know, I, I feel safe enough and secure enough to be able to just be like, that's not the right leap for me. This is a good leap for Mm me. And, but yeah, it is, it's a constant practice of emergence. And then I, that I think is actually what makes our relationship with change so important is because nature changes like the natural world changes all the time why wouldn't we like we do too we just resist it and i think in resisting our relationship with change and our ability to change we really stifle our ability to imagine and see a vision that is possible for us than the one that we're living in um and so by by attuning to how we are part of the natural system we can begin also to find a lot more trust and security in that. The planet constantly reminds me. If I'm ever, like, super scared, I feel like I just remember natural cycles. Like, I'm just a little part of the world, too, yeah, <laughs> going through my cycles. Right. Like, I know. Like, imagine if, like, you know, when the tree loses its leaves, if it was just like, yeah. oh, my God. Like, I have no, I have no <laughs> what am I going to do? Have- <laughs> yeah. Like, uh huh. Yeah, and we're it's, seasons. It's winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're seasons. We are for sure. Um, I think we forget yeah. because we live in such a singular world. Capitalism is so singular. Um, yeah, that's been coming up a lot. I just finished um, the podcast that's coming out this current week, which you know, by the time this one is airing with you, it will be a few weeks later. But um, that is really focused on like the monolithic approach to time, right? That like capitalism has sort of forced time into this. Mm -hmm. um, It's all the same rather than it's very cyclical and one moment is really different from the next. And so much of our time scarcity is coming from the expectation that this should be monolithic when it just, that's not the nature of it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot about time in relationship to what I'm doing in any given moment, like when I'm remembering to be present, it's like, I'm bringing all the past in with me to right now. And I'm also in every moment informing the future. So Mm. we are time traveling constantly, you know, or even when we're Mm. sitting, when we're coming into a meeting together, no, no one is actually in the same moment together. Um, Yeah. We're all like freaking out about something we have going on next week or, you know, upset about something that happened in the morning. And so, yeah, having a relationship with time that is nonlinear, I think really helps to not only remind us to come back to the present, but also can help us remember hope that the future Mm -hmm. exists and that it's something that we were a part of. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you were hoping we were going to talk about today? Hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that occurs to me that's important to sit with around change is, I think it's impossible to talk about scarcity and capitalism without talking about the climate crisis. And I think 
we all we see all around us now um the symptoms of capitalism gone totally out of whack and i'm i'm cautious around that language cuz i know that you know when 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 like a like capitalism gets perceived as being attacked people kind of go like immediately to like oh are you uh you know they do the language of like are you a communist or are you a socialist and it's like those two things are su- such extremes from one another that it's like mm-hmm. why are we not talking about anything in between like there's so much in between i don't worry jackie by the time this episode airs there's nobody still listening who's afraid of communism or socialism like, i mean if there is send me an email and i'm really surprised that you're still here but but by this point we have thoroughly like criticized i hope we have thoroughly criticized i th- so i've taken to calling it scarcity capitalism that's just like the phrase i've been using because yeah. it helps me to specify It just helps me to be more specific with my critique. It's not that Mm -hmm. I don't have some general critiques of capitalism, but I'm also not an all or nothing with it, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, look, let's just talk about why we cannot continue with scarcity capitalism. And let's try to understand what that is and then what would it look like to move into something that would help us heal. That looks different. Yeah, it doesn't need a name. It doesn't need a name. Um, yeah. yeah, thanks for that clarification. But I think the reason that I, I bring that up is because I think we are confronted with this with this great crisis, the climate crisis. And I think feeling is so critical to our be- ability to be able to like move and transform and heal trauma. And when it comes to feeling the climate crisis, that is such a big, it's so big to feel that to feel that grief, to feel that, you know, even like if I buy like something that's a a piece of plastic, like I feel, I feel shame, I feel guilt. And that's like such a small, that is just the tip of the iceberg for how much is wrapped up in our experience of the climate crisis. And I, and I, I just want to hold people's feelings so tenderly. I just want to give people permission to feel, um, because there's all kinds of, messages out there that pull us out of our feeling it's like you can't feel i need you to act or i can't feel i need you to be different and Mm -hmm. without our feeling without our moving through our deep anticipatory climate grief and very real climate grief when all the other grief that we're carrying from collective grief and everything we're going through um the iceberg stays ice it doesn't thaw and Mm -hmm. The thawing is a a really important stage, I think, for all of us collectively. And we don't we don't have to thaw alone. We don't have to experience grief alone. We don't have to be in pain alone. Um but it it is the metaphorical thawing, of course. We want the literal thawing to stop and we want the metaphorical (laughs) I know the the glacier. The glacier metaphor gets a little muddied, but yeah. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. Yeah, I mean, it occurs to me, it's so challenging in a culture of privilege, right, where consumerism is more than anything else, the addiction, the thing that soothes us, right? It's the way that we comfort yeah. ourselves. Yeah. And then it also has become, you know, it's um, becoming clear that like, that is the problem. Or that's part of the problem. Um, it's so easy to want to stop caring as like the way out. Just It's like yeah. the only way out, really. We can take because otherwise, out. like, Oh, yeah. Sitting with the grief of a tiny piece of plastic or just telling yourself, okay, I don't need to feel that today. Everyone is buying plastic today right mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so i think it takes a lot of it takes a lot of resource actually right to be able to stay when you don't have to yeah 100%. with that difficult feeling absolutely yeah we're numbing is so easy it's mm-hmm. so so easy mm-hmm. yeah. i love the way that you think and talk about all of this i think it's really inspiring and um i can even just hear in your voice like when I think of like how you get out of scarcity mindset, part of it is just talking to people who aren't stuck in there. And I think when I talk to you, mm-hmm. I hear that, that you're in a really expansive place where you're trusting and you are seeing possibility. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your insights uh, and coming on the show today. 
Thank you so much, Kate, for having me. It's really exciting to get to talk about these issues with you as well. Um, um, if people wanted to like get to know your work a little bit better, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, um, they can visit um, my website, so resonancecoachingpdx.com. Um, I'm also, I primarily am on Instagram. I try to limit my social media energy output, but um, my my handle on there is resonance underscore guide or just my name. You can find me in a couple different spaces. So Great. Um, yeah. What about your music? If people want to listen yeah, to your, I know you've got some songs out. Yeah, I do. I started songwriting last November and just released three singles and I'm working on my first album. It's so exciting. Mm. Um, the artist's name is Echo Onda. Um, and yeah, you can find me really anywhere you can find music. Um, and yeah, that's another like thrilling part of emergence is creation, mm-hmm. um, coming into our creative selves. So it's been really fun to discover. Mm, I love it. Well, I'll put the links to all of that in the show notes so people can check out what you're doing. Thanks, Kate. I hope you all enjoyed today's conversation with Jackie Fitzgerald. Please do go to the show notes to check out all of the resources that she shared with us today. I also want to let you all know that I just launched my group program called the Depth Entrepreneur Conservatory. This program is a really immersive seven-month incubator for creative entrepreneurs and change makers. I'm really excited to share it with you all. I'm going to link to it in the show notes and you will be hearing more about it in the weeks to come. Uh, But if you'd like to go check that out, you can either go to my website, kateholly.com, or I'll also link to the website for the program, which is depthentrepreneurconservatory.com. That's it. I hope you all enjoyed today and have a really spacious week. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Space Beyond Scarce. If you enjoyed this episode, please go over to Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps out a new podcaster. Thank you.